You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lintonello. Buongiorno, everybody. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. <laughs> we say good morning in Virginia, okay? I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> well, I don't even know what buongiorno means, you know? I mean, seriously. It All means go back to the- who's like an original owner or a car that has, you know, been in the family forever or something really original and unique, let me know. Get the info. Be my scout will. for today. Yeah, be I my will. scout. I mean, you know, you're going to be traveling I-81 uh, real shortly. Monday morning. Yeah, Monday morning. Yeah. And uh, I ship out uh, tomorrow morning. All bright and early. Uh, head up to uh, the world's greatest automotive extravaganza, the AACA Hershey Fall Meet. And, man, I, I'm always so stoked. You're leaving Sunday? Why is that? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. i got to get up there and, uh, you know, get settled in, go to, go to some restaurants, and uh, and then... You know, there, there's the antique barn that's down from the old Hershey headquarters. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got this routine going on, this uh, tradition, you know, to try to get in there, especially the antique stores, and suck up all the good stuff before guys like you come in. You know, I get all the bargains. Gotcha. Okay. I'll be heading up there Monday for you. <laughs> nah. At this stage of my life, the less is more. <laughs> I'm not collecting anything anymore. <laughs> oh, oh, come on. Now, you can't tell me that if you found a really nice book um, or some uh, really great uh, Triumph parts um, that you wouldn't be all in. I know better. I, I've seen your library. You know, it. I mean, I have, yeah, I mean, I have tons of books, hundreds and hundreds, but... If there's, if there's a book of interest and I don't have it, yeah, of course you got to buy it. If I find another oil zone sign in the original packing and the original, you know, wrapped in the original uh, wax paper and it's cheap, yeah, I'll buy it. Like that happened, you know, a while back. So, uh, 
yeah, you can never say no because, you know, being a lifelong preservationist, it's not like we're hoarders, we're preservationists. We're preserving old stuff for the future. So if we have no. something, we find something that has to be preserved and saved from the junkyard, we have to buy it. Or you know, it's funny. It's funny you were you saying that, and, and you and I had not talked about this. So, you know, you were just talking about that and why we do what we do. And this morning, I don't know, I, my mind was sort of rolling uh, hither and yon, and I <clears throat> was just thinking about, you know, what I was going to say today because it's a speaking engagement. And, uh, you know, why do we do what we do as hobbyists, you know. Like, why do we bust our knuckles, spend all of our money dealing with rust and old, greasy crap? And, um, you know, it doesn't seem logical, you know. It doesn't. And, uh, and I guess that's because, you know, emotions are not always logical. I think, I think a lot of us do it. You know, we're paying homage in a way, um, we're revering all of the people who were involved in the design and the creation of early technologies, you know, all of the, the trendsetters, the designers, the, the enthusiasts, the people that just really loved driving and loved the experience and loved the automobile, you know, like, like you and I do, um, it, it, it's it's interesting, um, you know. I not long ago uh, restored an old 1940s Osterizer blender that I had found. I just liked it. It that's was cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And, and I like disassembled that thing. I mean, it is built like the proverbial brick, you know what house, and. I, I took it apart and cleaned everything, you know. The bearings are still in such great shape. Everything in it is just really, really well done. But you think about it. They didn't have any computers. Everything was done by draftsmen. Uh, you know, people, you know, couldn't, you know, enter in a program and have something spit out. It was just all brain power, you know, brain power right. and talent, you know. And then I think about all the people up there in, uh, I think it's Wisconsin, Racine, Wisconsin, where the Oster factory was. You know, John Oster opened up that plant up there. And, you know, probably half the, you know, good portion of the town probably worked at Oster. They probably, right. you know, a lot of them walked to work, you know, and, and that was their thing, and they took pride in it. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I always wanted to find a one of those light green Hamilton blenders that you put the metal cup in. Yeah. That you used to see at the counter at a luncheonette. And, uh, you know, they're a little pricey, but one day I'll find one. I think just think they're so cool. Yeah, I mean, when you appreciate mechanical things, it doesn't matter if it's a car or boat an old boat engine or a motorcycle, a toaster, or in your case, a radio. It doesn't matter. We love mechanical things, and we got to save them, preserve them, and restore them for the future. That's our history. All for Yeah, 
it, it's kind of a mission. I I even have an antique pair of uh, Sunbeam electric hedge clippers. Date back to the like late late thirties. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sitting in my uh, I have a sunroom off the back of my house, and I started putting up some eclectic things that I have. And one of the things I made a shadow box of. My grandfather was a barber, and when he started in the business back when he lived on the island of Lampedusa in uh, the Mediterranean, he started buying uh, all those German razors, you know, with the alabaster right. handles. And I have a bunch of his that I saved because everybody wanted to throw them out. And I polished them up, and I have them in a shadow box, and they're on the wall. And then when I moved into this house, there must have been, you know, a previous owner was a fisherman. I found all these old vintage laws. So I have those hanging on the wall, too. I mean, how could you throw this stuff out? I mean, the craftsmanship alone on these things is just amazing. So, uh, yeah, when you like old cars, you like everything that's mechanical or anything that's of substance. Took, yeah, took cool talent, stuff. Talent. Yeah, took talent, craftsmanship forethought yep um you just appreciate it people that were striving for excellence who were you know wanting to wanting to do something that was uh important in their minds right yeah and get get out of here my grandfather was a barber too he was he was i kid you not at one time my grandfather owned a barber shop in uh I think it was Williamston, North Carolina, and it was called the City Barber Shop. And it actually went from one block all the way through to the next. It, it had like ten chairs in it. Um, but yeah, he was a barber vast majority of his life. At one time, uh, back during the Great Depression, he had a small grocery store. But even then, he cut hair and cut my hair all the way up until almost the time he that he passed away. Um, crazy thing about it, <laughs> not to... Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying, uh, you know, all those memories of your grandfather and the barber shops, and I used to spend many Saturdays working the cash register at my grandfather's barber shop, which was on Remsen Street in, uh, in downtown Brooklyn, right across from the court. And uh, all the lawyers used to come in there. Before Mario Pomo was the governor of New York, he used to come into my grandfather's barbershop every two weeks. Uh, <laughs> the, pre- the previous governor, Terry, he used to come in. I mean, all these people. And, uh, yeah, just great memories. Yeah, I, uh, well, mine were great memories. I, I'm I remember my grandfather when I was just a little kid, and I was really small, but I remember him always saying he was going to give me a a beetle haircut, uh, like the Beatles. (laughs) uh, And then when I got older, he passed away uh, when I was 14, 14. uh, But he was cutting my hair almost all the way up to that point. And he was starting to get shaky really shaky but i couldn't stop going to him because it would be an insult not to go to him but i'd come out of there i mean he did a pretty good job but he would like clip the tops of my ears and 
I had blood going on. He's like, oh, that'll that'll stop in a minute. You know, kind of kind of crazy, but that's funny. I didn't didn't realize that. So, uh, you know, there's just one more you thing know, you, have, you and I have in common. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I remember well my grandfather. Like I said, he was from uh, the Mediterranean, and he would always say in his broken English, uh, "That the man, he's a very successful. He has a Cadillac." <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, like that was the I mean, obsessed a Cadillac. <laughs> you know? It's so so funny. Um, you know, when I was uh, in engineering school, um, I met a friend who had escaped from Iran uh, at the fall of the Shah, and uh, Mohammed had kind of a hard time. At the time, the climate in the country was not very friendly to I- I- Iranians. But uh, anyhow, make a long story short, you know, he and I just ended up sitting at a table together in the refectory and talking. And, uh, you know, we just started talking about Iran, started talking about America and this and that. I was like, so what did you think? He goes, I thought every American smoked a big cigar and drove a Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the vision the world has of us. <laughs> <laughs> big cigars and Cadillacs. Yeah. No fun. Uh, <laughs> times have changed. So, um, Speaking of times changing. Oh, it's time for a break. We'll change times in a minute. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. Uh, okay, so, what, so what's on the agenda today? What do you like to talk about? Triumph, uh, Hudson, Packers? <laughs> Triumph. You know, it's like um, I remember taking my TR7 to... Uh, 
one of the I don't, Webb's Motor Company in, in Roanoke, Virginia, was at least explained to me many times, and Mr. Webb said the same thing, that he was the oldest continuously operating uh, MG facility in uh, in the States. And so, anyhow, I, I can't remember his name. Mechanic who worked there, been there forever. It's all he'd ever done his entire life is work on British cars, British sports cars. And uh, I had this TR7, um, and it had the uh, really kind of wacky Zenith carburetor with the uh, coolant, actually, that goes through the carburetors. Um, and I couldn't get it situated. I mean, you know, it was like reading Egyptian hieroglyphics to me. So I put the car on the trailer. I took it down there to him. He kept it for about a week or so, and I went by to talk to him, and he was like, you know, Tom, you know, this thing's got a little, a few problems. You know, you got a valve that's sticking. You got, you know, the carburetors really need, you really need to get replacement carburetors, you know, you need to do this. You need. He goes. You know what I would do? Just, just throw it away. Just throw it away and get another one, because there's another one out there. There's another TR7 there. You know, because when they're not when they're not catching on fire, they're they're bleeding all over the garage floor. So you know, people people are are selling them always. <laughs> too funny anyway. Too funny. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it away. Get another one. <laughs> you, know, you break your mind off. Get rid of. So, anyways, so a lot of people, are, you know, are unaware that my real entry, you know, apart from just being, you know, day to day hobbyist, I, you know, as most people know, I'm very active in the hobby and. You know, I've just, I've been an advocate for the hobby. Uh, I just love it. It's, it's, you know, my home away from home. But, you know, that started many years ago when I began to read about legislative issues that were going on. We had the original, not the Obama era, but the original cash for clunkers programs, the scrappage programs that were instituted in California and a few other places whereby uh, what were termed gross polluters, whether they were refineries or factories or what have you, could, instead of cleaning up their own stacks, they could just buy a bunch of old cars and crush them, and they would get credit for taking the estimated amount of emissions off the road by crushing and destroying all those old cars. And I'm like, you know, that's just god-awful because, first of all, it doesn't really solve the problem. And second of all, it's destroying all these great old cars. So I got really involved, and I became an, a, a legislative advocate for the hobby. And, you know, I was in my 20s. And, um, unfortunately, that's been a few years. And, you know... From there, got involved in other things, uh, started working with Brian Caudill at SEMA's Washington office and uh, started helping them with, 
working, you know, reaching out to hobbyists and that sort of thing, and um, got really involved in all of that legislative stuff and, you know, advocating for positive and proper legislation and trying to keep a lot of times uh, politicians don't understand the old car hobby, so they'll write legislation that affects the old car hobby negatively. They're not doing it on purpose, but it still has to be changed and corrected, and you have to talk to them and bring them up to date so that they can, you know, change things. And most of the time, that happens. You know, um, 38 states I've worked on automotive legislation in. And actually, it's been kind of quiet for a little while. There, there hasn't been a lot going on. I mean, you still have a lot of local issues where, you have some really punitive uh, zoning restrictions and things of that nature, certain areas now where you can't work on your antique car at, at your home or, you know, you you can't keep a parts car because it's unregistered, even if it's out of sight. A lot of, a lot of that type of craziness that happens on a local level. Um, but more recently, uh, a lot of people have been asking me the last year or two years, really, um, you know, how's the hobby going to fare moving forward with all of the green agenda that's being put forth? And you know, I'll start by saying I, I'm, I believe it or not, I'm an environmentalist. I believe in treating Mother Nature with kindness. And, you know, when, from the time I was a kid, I was out participating in campaign clean water at the Chesapeake Bay and, you know, dragging stuff out, picking up trash, all that sort of stuff. Not talking about being a bad steward, but so recently California, the California Air Resources Board, which is the body that oversees all of the regulation, emissions regulations and that sort of thing, um, that has so much to do with the automobile industry and affecting it, you know, Typically, regulations that they all start, they have their genesis in California. Um, they were the first, you know, as Rich will tell you, um, to implement emission controls back in the 60s. Um, so things start there. Well, recently they sent out a questionnaire to all of their residents who had antique cars registered. And they wanted to know what the mileage was on the car. They wanted to know how the car was used. They wanted to know a lot of different things about the vehicle. And, of course, this set off a lot of bells and whistles with people. And they began to get concerned. And the state came back and said, look, you know, we're just doing surveys. We, we want to better understand, particularly right now, evaporative emissions, just fuel and the type of emissions that are coming from fuel and these older vehicles that don't have evaporative emissions uh, reduction uh, equipment on them. And uh, they sort of blew it off. I read an article by Hemmings. They did the same thing. They sort of just blew it off. Uh, you know, it's like, ah, it's, it's no big deal. They're just doing a survey, yada, yada, yada. Well, I've been doing this for well over 30 years. 
not true. I'm not saying that the sky is falling, folks, but I am saying that we need to pay attention to what's going on. There's always an ulterior motive. Always. Yes. It, it came about because somebody was was thinking about it. You know, there's all these old cars out there, and they don't have evaporative emissions controls on them, and they must be contributing in some large way to uh, the emissions issue that we have in, in California. Well, the truth of the matter is, you stop and think about antique cars, Vintage and antique cars represent less than 1% of the total annual miles driven by the whole fleet in the U.S., okay? Less than 1% of total annual miles driven by antique vehicles. And so they represent an even smaller percentage of emissions. So this all just harkens back to what I would say, and it's, you know, people use the word today, uh, virtue signaling. You know, makes it seem like you're doing something positive, but you're not really. Um, it's it's worrisome. I think that the fact that they're asking about it uh, means that we should be vigilant about it. We should pay attention to it, and we should, to some degree, be proactive about it. Because I do firmly believe that the anti-car hobby can coexist with a cleaner, more environmentally conscious future. Because the truth of the matter is, antique and vintage cars, they're not part of the problem. They're not. There's oh, you not know, enough. You know, I, I read this many years ago, and it, maybe it came from SEMA, I don't know where, but uh, the average mileage that an antique car owner puts on his old car is less than 250 miles per year. I mean, the average SUV does that in less than a week. So who's polluting? And besides, when you own an antique car or an old car, uh, you know, you're always on top of things. You're always making sure that it runs its optimal best. You're always changing the spark plugs and the oil because you want to preserve it. So the amount of pollution that they really put out is it, insignificant compared to, you know, what daily drivers put out every single day across America. So, yeah, it, it's, it's inconsequential. It really is. It, it, it's zero impact. But, yeah. you know, people see old cars, you know, like a friend of mine was driving down the street in an old car. I think it was he had a Model A. And some guy cut him off and said, get that piece of junk off the road. You're, you're, you're ruining our environment. So, yeah, there's a lot of ignorance out there. But, you know, what are you going to do? Well, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good a good question. What are you, what are you going to do? And uh, I've, been, I've been proselytizing about this for, like I say, three decades. So what are you going to do? Well, first of all, you're going to pay attention. Um, try to stay abreast of what's going on. You know, don't hide under a rock and assume somebody else is going to take care of it for you. Assume, oh, well, if we have a legislative issue, he's got this covered. Well, that's not true, um, and it's certainly not always true. And don't get me wrong, SEMA does a great many good things for our hobby, uh, as do all of its members. But I will say this, 
Um, the automotive industry at large has a lot of in SEMA. And you're going to a bird. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783, or visit jctaylor.com slash awr drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. We're back and talking about what you can do about legislation that may end up restricting our beloved hobby. Um, first of all, I, you know, the car hobby does a great many wonderful things uh, for charities. Literally, the and I don't know any specific figures, but I, I without even running a specific survey, I know without any question that the anti-car hobby throughout the country on an annual basis raises millions and millions and millions of dollars for charities. I, I probably just locally, even in Roanoke, Virginia, you know, I would hazard a guess that collectively all the car shows, most of which uh, generate money for charity, um, probably generate a couple hundred thousand dollars every year. Uh, that go to charities, a lot of them local. So it's a, you know, it's a lot of positives to it. Um, it's great family fun. It's it's entertainment. It's preservation of history. It's education. Uh, there are so many things, and so you stay abreast of what's going on. Probably join a club is a great way to stay abreast because people are going to talk about what's going on and you'll be around other hobbyists but more than that you know when you're having your local car show um hey why don't you think about inviting some of your local uh politicians to give out a uh an award or two you know it's not going to cost you a whole lot of money 
they love to come out and get the exposure. And in turn, you're giving them exposure to the antique cars, the antique car hobby, and uh, makes them feel better about it. You know, take a couple of them with you. And I know sometimes people have had bad experiences, and that's all you hear about. Oh, I took this politician for a ride in my convertible. He had mud on his feet, you know, and I wanted to throw, throw the bum out after the first couple of blocks. But vast majority of them, that doesn't happen. Um, you know, reach out, engage your local representatives, federal, state, with the car hobby. Bring them in. Ask them to participate. Invite them to come to your shows. Um, because the more familiarity they have, the more sympathetic and the more willing they're going to be to listen to you and, and what you're doing. The other thing, you know, local publicity, uh, statewide publicity. Publicity for your car show is a positive thing. People get to see what's going on. They see the families. They see the old cars, so on and so forth. You know, most people are very positive. It's only the negative ones that you hear so much about. Um, so, I mean, you got to get out there in a very positive light with it. Engage politicians. Stay on top of what's going on. And then t- talk to your politicians. If there's an issue, get a group together, group of hobbyists together. You know, send letters, emails, make phone calls, set up appointments. But above all, always be respectful. Be nice. Be friendly. You don't want to call people up and tell them, you know, what the hell are you doing with my old car, you bum? You need to be the hell out of office, you know? Uh, who elected you, you know? You don't want to do that because that's all. That's that's just going to lose the battle. Yeah, you got to fight back. I mean, I guess about uh, 15 years ago when I lived in Vermont, uh, in front of my garage, I had parked my 61 Pontiac Ventura bubble top. And, you know, the car didn't look that great. It kind of looked disheveled. But it ran. It wasn't licensed, though. And, uh, you know, it had some rust issues, but it was complete. It wasn't a junker. And I got a letter from the local congressman or whoever he was saying <laughs> that it's an eyesore to the neighborhood. And it needs to be removed within 30 days. So, I tracked down where he lived. And sure enough, on the side of his house, in clear view of the road, he had several old trucks. He had an old boat. He had an old motorhome. And he had all these ladders and all this stuff. I took pictures of it. And I wrote a letter to the Bennington Banner newspaper and I blasted him about his hypocrisy. Well, guess what? I never heard from them again. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to fight back. <laughs> right. Oops. Yeah, you got to fight back. You really do. You, you just can't, you know, take a back seat and expect someone else to do all the dirty work for you. So if you see something that's going on, if, if, if you're... If you get a letter from the town saying you have to do this and move your cars, you got to fight back. You know, and of course, we don't want our neighborhood to look like, you know, uh, I don't know, like a third world country with junk piled up. That, that's disgusting, you know. But, uh, yeah, if these old cars to me are just an easy target. And I don't know why. People just, a lot of people in this country do not appreciate 
our history. They don't appreciate our past. And the transportation industry is a big part of our history and the past of this country, which is what made us so great. We had great automobiles. They're revered around the world and in Cuba and all over. But for some reason, a lot of Americans just, you know, if it's not new, they want it destroyed. And that's yeah. sad. Well, the other part, you know, another thing, and you sort of touched on it earlier, but when it comes to newer vehicles on the road, daily drivers, um, something like 40, it, yeah, 40% of them create 90% of the emissions, 40% create 90% of the emissions. And what's the reason for that? Poor maintenance, computer systems right. that aren't functioning properly, um, various issues. A lot of them electronic um, that are causing causing the emissions. So you know, it, it, a well-tuned old car doesn't put out as much in the way of uh, VOCs as a car that's you know newer. But it has a, has a system that's not operating properly, and you know anybody that has a computer, we all know they're not fail safe. There's always something going on. So uh, anyway, it, it, it's a big deal. You need to be be involved. You need to stay abreast of it and uh, be involved with a car club, other people, so that you can understand what's going on. I, I will say this to this point. In all of those years of being involved in legislative advocacy for the hobby, we've never lost a fight. Never lost a fight to have better legislation passed or to have legislation modified to reasonably accommodate the antique car hobby. So, again, I'll tell you, sky's not falling. And, and this is not uh, a party affiliated thing. It is a bipartisan thing. Democrats and Republicans and independents, um, you know, they're car hobbyists. Um, so it's not a party-related thing. I know a lot of times we're very quick to point fingers. And, you know, it, is it an ideological thing? Yeah, I think these days there's no doubt it's an ideological thing. Um, I, In fact, I sent it to you uh, I saw a post the other day that was talking about emissions and trans green transformation and so on and so forth, and it was on a uh, car enthusiast's Facebook page. And one of his Facebook friends posted, and the guy was a car hobbyist. He's talking like, you know, hey, you know, we must accept the fact that our antique vehicle hobby is spewing death and destruction to our world. And so we need to get busy building museums. It's like, hello, what the heck is wrong with you, you know? Talk to those people. If you know those people, talk to those people, if they can be talked to. Some of them can't be. You're wasting your time. But you know what? What an idiotic statement to make. There are so many other things that can be done to improve the environment than dealing with old cars that are a non-issue. And this idiot seemed to think that 
they're an issue. Spewing forth death was the quote, and it's like, are you out of your ever-loving mind, you know? Um, hey, the rest of the world needs to clean up their act, too. You know, American automobile emissions have been going down steadily since the 70s, okay? So our air is getting cleaner here, but it's not getting cleaner in China. It's not getting cleaner in India and other underdeveloped nations, but we seem to be giving all of those folks a pass, you know. And the fact that anybody could point a bony finger of indignation at our antique cars and say that they're spewing forth death, I don't know, man, really turns me off and kicks me off, you know. You know, what a lot of these moronic greenies, as I call them, and I'm talking about the extremist ones, we all want a clean environment. But a lot of these idiots who want to kill the old car hobby, and a lot of them do. They're out there. Uh, the old car hobby, or the automotive hobby, which encompasses, you know, trucks and motorcycles and all that kind of stuff, is a $25, $26 billion a year industry. It employs millions of people from machine shops and manufacturing, deliveries, uh, you know, services, including, you know, whether it's collective car insurance or, uh, you know, restoration shops, uh, rebuilding facilities. I mean, there are millions of Americans employed in the automotive industry, which a large portion of it makes up old cars and old trucks and motorcycles. And these idiots, they just don't even realize that. You know, you killed that industry, and you're, you're contributing to the unemployment of this country in a great way. So uh, there's a lot to consider. It's not just driving around in all cars. There's a lot to consider with uh, parts manufacturing and everybody that's, uh, you know, associated with old automobiles. And like you said, uh, look how much money is generated by car shows to, to give away to, you know, uh, children's organizations or soldiers and veterans and things like that. I mean, it would be detrimental to this country to put the kibosh on the old car hobby. It really would be. Yeah. And, and, and it is the one thing that I hate more than anything in this world. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm opinionated. I do have opinions, and I express them. Um, but I absolutely hate stupidity. I hate things without basis. There is no basis for destroying the old car hobby, quote-unquote, for the benefit of the environment. Sorry. You know, I mean, if we're doing that, then we just simply need to go ahead and bulldoze our homes, get rid of everything, and go back to digging grubs, eating deer meat, and, uh, you know, raw fish, and living in caves somewhere. Because otherwise, you know, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, it's crazy. Um, the other thing that people think about when it comes to the demise of the old car hobby, and that is, the, you know, everybody's always talking about the fact that young people are not interested in the old car hobby. I, Rich and I talk about this all the time uh, on the show, too. And it's simply not true. 
Now, is it true that kids are stuck to screens and, and everything else? Yeah, it is true. But you know what? A lot of the games, a lot of the stuff that they are interacting with, guess what's involved with them? Vehicles. They don't dislike vehicles. They don't dislike cars. Are they being taught unfairly that maybe antique cars are bad? Yeah, probably. I don't know. But, you know, they don't all hate cars. And a lot of younger people is right now in people in their kids in their, and I say kids, young people in their 20s and 30s are turning on to pre-war cars even, you know, brass era cars, Model Ts. I mean, I've seen a lot of it lately. And so there's a lot, a lot of positives going on there with that. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I have a young kid next door to me. He's 16. And uh, although he drives like a 25-year-old Lexus, a Beetle Lexus, <laughs> uh, his fun car is a uh, 72 Impala, you know, and it has Craigers on it and everything. And every weekend he takes it out. His friends come over, they pile in it, and off they go. And, uh, you know, it's jacked up a little and all that stuff, but it's still pretty cool to see, you know, a 16-year-old appreciating something that old. <laughs> and to us, a 72, 71 Impala is not that old, but uh, still, there is more interest among the young kids than people realize or people give them credit for. I agree. You know, you go to cars and coffees and cars and caffeine and all these different car shows they have early in the morning on a Saturday or Sunday, and it's filled with people under 30. Filled. And, yeah, a lot of them may be driving Hondas and, you know, things like that, Subarus. But you know what? It's all part of the old car hobby. And, uh, you know, when you show up with your 52 Hudson or you show up with a, you know, old MG, those same kids driving Toyotas and Hondas and Subarus will come over and look at it and, you know, go, wow, that's a pretty cool car. And before you know it, you're going to pique their interest and they may be the next owner down the road. So uh, it's important to get out there and show your cars and uh, not turn our back on these young kids yeah. so more and more of them are into, I mean, look, look at the McPherson, uh, college. When I was in the Des Moines Concourse two weeks ago out in Iowa, the, the kids were there from the college and I was talking with them. And, uh, it's amazing. Some of them have three and four cars. And I'm talking, you know, older stuff, you know, from the, from the thirties and twenties. And, uh, their enthusiasm is amazing. I mean, there's over, I think it's something like 150 kids in the McPherson College Restoration Program. And uh, they are gung-ho about automobiles. And you know what? They're not all boys. There's a lot of girls in these programs, too, which I think is absolutely wonderful. So, uh, yeah, we just got to keep it going. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. Um, there, there are a lot of young gals that are involved in the hobby these days, too. A lot of women are, are car enthusiasts, and uh, I suspect a lot of women were always car enthusiasts to an extent, but because it just wasn't a social norm, you know, they weren't out celebrating the fact. Um, but, you know, gosh, I know so many women who are 
huge car enthusiasts. And uh, it's like, when you know, you and I are going to be uh, creating mayhem at Hershey here in just a couple of days. And, you know, I, just in the last 25 years going to Hershey, it's changed a lot. You know, there are a lot more women enthusiasts out there at Hershey. There's a lot of them vending, a lot of them buying, and there's uh, there are women out there showing their cars as well. Uh, uh, a dear friend, uh, Stephanie Wasmanski from up north, uh, is coming down and uh, bringing a, an early Jeep CJ. Uh, I've, I've known her, her uncle or father for many years. They've been showing up there at Hershey and now... Uh, you know, Stephanie's bringing her Jeep up. She's been bringing it every year for a while and also bringing her uh, grandfather's uh, 7-liter Ford Galaxy. So, you know, there's a lot going on out there. Share the hobby, too. I can tell you this. I, I do not worry about putting someone, someone in my car. And as long as they're not crazy, I don't mind giving them the keys either, um, you know, as long as I'm, I'm riding along. Uh, can't tell you how many times I've said, you know, some young person and they're looking at the car and they're like, wow, man, that is such a great car. And I'm like, you like it? And they're like, oh, yeah, man, this is awesome. I, you know, I'm like, well, here, drive it. And they're like, you're kidding me. No, 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 I'd be too nervous. I don't think I can. And I'm like, no, 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 drive it. And uh, it leaves a lasting impression on them. More than of a lasting impression that they would than they would ever get just looking at it. The chance to get behind the wheel and actually drive an old car is an experience that they'll remember forever. They're not going to forget it. It's, it's so true. Years ago, I, I guess it must have been about six years ago, I was writing my uh, book on Cadillac, it's called Cadillac Style, and I uh, went to photograph down in Chevy Chase, Maryland, outside of D.C., a 1935 LaSalle. And after I finished photographing it, the owner said, come on, let's go for a ride. Okay, so I go to sit in the passenger seat. He goes, no, no, you drive it. I said, really? And I've never driven, you know, a LaSalle or even a car from the 30s. I've driven cars from the 20s. And uh, let me tell you something. Uh, It was a lot of fun. But, man, was I glad to get out of that car when I pulled into his driveway. It's like, whoa. <laughs> I was, we only went, you know, I mean, Chevy Chase, Maryland is very crowded, a lot of traffic. But, man, it was an effort to drive that thing and steer it and break it among today's, you know, traffic. But if you're out in the country, you know, it's a lot more enjoyable. But, uh, yeah, sometimes those lasting impressions aren't that good. It was to me, driving that car was like an old a plane crash. It was like, oh, my God, when are we getting back to the house? For God's sakes, you, 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 you're like an old, uh, you know, like my grandmother, okay? I mean, come on, you know? You need to, you, what you need to do is you need to go to the West Peterson School of Vintage Car Driving. Uh, Peterson and I, in his uh, 41... Packard uh, limo, and that thing's a tank. It's huge, enormous, and uh, man, he spanks the hell out of that thing. I, 
heavy traffic, no problem. Interstate, 70, 75 miles an hour, no problem. He's like all smiles and just, I mean, just running the, the Jesus out of that thing. And uh, so, I don't know. we got to get you out more often. That's okay. That, that's going to be my uh, goal this next year. We, we, we're going to get you, like, behind more wheels, and, you know, we're going to send you to the West Peterson School of Driving. That's what we're going to do. You're going to learn to drive a, a 40s car like a complete maniac. But well, not you know, with me in the we, car. When, when I worked at Hemmings, we had a 1940 uh, 41 Buick a convertible sedan, and I used to drive that thing in and around Bennington, Vermont. And, you know, you have country roads and stuff, not, not traffic, snarl roads. And it was very enjoyable. I used to take out, we had a Model A uh, Phaeton. It was a 1930 or 31 model. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed driving Model A's. But uh, in traffic sometimes, it's like, I guess if you own the car and you're more familiar with it, that's one thing. But if you just that's throw true. the keys... If you know, and car, you have no, it's different. Right. Yeah. And you play with the clutch, with the, how does it take up short, you know, the pedal travel, the brakes, and it's kind of unnerving, especially when you're driving someone else's car, you know. But if it's your own and you're used to it, that that's a different story. But, yeah, any old car experience is great. Yeah, it gave me an opportunity to bust your chops. <laughs> Well, you know I needed something. that. I needed that hey. this morning. I, it's just going to make me feel better when I go to speak to this group there. I've, I've, I've busted your chops. Well, listen, next summer, the AACA is having a meet in Saratoga Springs, New York. So, why don't you bring up one of your old clunkers, bring it up to Saratoga, and then we'll drive home and we'll make a detour in into Manhattan to pick up some bagels and pizza. And um, you could experience driving in Manhattan traffic in one of your old cars. How's that? <laughs> you know what? I I remember driving in, in Manhattan one time in a rented minivan. And, uh, you know, I kind of got with it pretty quickly, you know, on the brake, on the gas, on, off, on, off, on, off. But everybody, everybody in the van was totally petrified. I mean, they were just petrified. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Manhattan, driving anything, I don't know. Um, scary stuff. But now, look at you. you. You, you're no longer city mouse. You're now country mouse. You know. Now you got well, you thoughts of moving out to the countryside. You know. Playing the banjo, maybe pick up the dulcimer or something. I don't know. A dulcimer? What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> give it another six months. Give it a give it another six months to a year. You'd be like, man, I was at this at this fair and they, they had this instrument and it just spoke to me. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no mandolins down here. Let me tell you. But, uh, yeah, uh, wow. So, well, well we're going to be at Hershey. We want, yeah, yep. um, we're going to be in Hershey. you got to have, 
Yep, yep. No, I'm looking forward to it. I'll be picking up my rental van tomorrow afternoon, and I'll be loading up all my books and magazines that we're going to promote. Uh, we're in space CV-59 in the South Chocolate Field. And come on by. I'm even bringing some car parts. Like I have some old Pittman arms, and I have, oh, I have an Edelbrock four-barrel carburetor, brand new in the box, never used. How's that? And those things go for like four hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah. I'll probably be selling it two hundred bucks, brand new. I don't care. Get rid of it. I'm bringing. I have a whole dashboard and speedometer from a '61 Pontiac. I'm bringing that. Get rid of it. You know, I got all this stuff laying around. What am I going to do with it? My kids don't want it. So, bring well, in a Hershey. Sell it cents on the dollar. Make someone happy. Send it. Send it on down the road. You know. I mean, you know, and that's really exciting stuff you're bringing. I, I've been, you know, just just yearning for some Pittman arms, I'm telling you. Uh, you know, that's going to be a hot item. <laughs> People are going to be like 10 deep. Oh, no, we, it's almost over with, folks. But I'm going to tell you what. Come by and see Richard and I. I'm in the Greenfield, Richardson Chocolate. And, uh, look. Hope we see everybody out there. Uh, Rich and I will be spending some time hanging out, too. And uh, it's just going to be great. It is Christmas in October, folks. Go to Hershey. And the car show on Friday is what, Rich? It's free. It's free. Free. We love free. So everybody have a safe journey to Hershey, and we'll see you next week. Take care, folks. See you, then. Be good, everybody. Bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.